That was beautiful. That was absolutely beautiful. Oh, let's give August a wonderful hand. August, thanks for, uh, for leading us in worship and all of that. How are you? Boy, I'm so glad. Thanks. Oh, yeah, that's right. I've been gone a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, I want to thank God for Mark and for, for, for David Briggs for just filling in and just proving over and over again what a wonderful, wonderful church it is that we have here. And I, I am so glad to be a part of it, you know. Um, I'll cut to the quick, you know, just in my mind because I just said, I missed you. Uh, I'm going to miss you guys so much. I only have about 12 more weeks to preach. Every time I think about that, I get real, real teary. And so I try not to think about it too much. Uh, but uh, that's the truth of the matter. And, and uh, uh, praise the Lord, <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> I am going to miss uh, this place more than I can ever put into words. Don't even know what, um, what the future holds for me up in uh, Oregon. But um, the one thing I do know for certain is that it is a, it's very comfortable for me to leave in this reason. And it's because I think Pastor Mark is going to be a, a tremendous pastor for us in this church. I really believe that God has uh, honored us through our prayers and our search for a, a, the right person. And I believe he is that man. And he, along with David Briggs, and then along with the leadership team, and especially Rob Selleck, who I absolutely adore. Um, if you were my grandson or my son, I couldn't be more proud. Um, and, and probably the hard, one of the hardest things for me to do about leaving is not only yourselves, but uh, Jenny Johnson. Jenny has been like a daughter um, to me and to my wife. And uh, every time I see her now, she's starting to hide from me because every time I see her, I start, I want to hug you one more time. I only have a few more hugs left. <laughs> So she's kind of hiding from me. But anyways, um, I want to tell you I love you with all my heart. There's just not enough words for me to tell you how much I do. Um, best way I can show you how much I love you is by uh, having you and me open up our Bibles. Would you please do that to First Peter, the third chapter? That's where we left off. I want to kind of review just a little bit. I'm not going to review a lot because I think you remember. But I, I want you to know why Peter is writing this particular book. Don't lose track of it. Because today, kind of, uh, I haven't studied the, the fourth and the fifth chapters uh, extensively yet because I don't do that. I kind of make it fresh every week. But, uh, but to this point, this seems to be the apex. This seems to be the place that Peter was building to. And I'm going to explain to you why in a moment. If you look back at chapter 1, let's refresh our memory. Why Peter wrote this particular book. He wrote this book, as you well might remember, to to comfort those who were dispersed from Rome because of persecution. And he wrote in verse 1 of chapter 1, there, Peter, he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to those who reside as aliens, who've been scattered throughout the general region because they had to flee persecution. Look, verse 6 of chapter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Here's why. Verse 7. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though it's been tested by fire, this proof of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, that's the theme of what has been going on in First Peter, in case you have kind of uh, laid it aside. 
But what happens now is to show you that through difficulties, God has a triumphant purpose for every one of us. And what He will use, Peter will, is not only us, as we go through our trials, but specifically, He's going to point to God's Son, Jesus Christ, who suffered on our behalf and who suffered for a reason. Now, for your suffering, my suffering, the sufferings that you and I might be going through right now, we might not know why. The truth of the matter is, we might not ever know why, this side of heaven. But the fact of the matter is, is all of us suffer to one degree or another. And we suffer for a purpose. And God has that purpose for you. You and I have to find out what it is He wants from us in the midst of difficulties. Let me show you. This is such a great... This place in Scripture is kind of the high watermark that that Peter has been very gradually building towards. Look what he says. Chapter 3. Let's read verse 17 to 22. Now, we, we were, we, we've already gone over verses 17, 18, 19, and 20. I, I, I want to just refresh our memories, though. He says, For it is better, verse 17, If God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, in order that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, who once were disobedient, when the patient of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight people, were brought safely through the water. Verse 21. And corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to Him. That is a hallelujah statement of this one that you call Jesus Christ and hopefully you call Him your Savior. Now, if you're here investigating, we want to give you the evidence. We want to give you enough evidence to make you want to come to Christ. That, that's that's the, one of the purposes of of meeting here. The ultimate purpose for meeting here is that we all get fed. Those of us who have trusted in Christ get fed so that we grow in our faith. And part of growing in our faith is going through, as Peter is explaining to us, trials. And the ultimate trial was God's Son, Jesus Christ. And here, he gives us two reasons why God allowed His Son to suffer upon the cross, to die, and to be resurrected. Two triumphant purposes of God in the life of His Son. Let's pray and let's have fun looking at this great place in Scripture. Dear Father, would you please do us the honor 
that is above any and all honor that we could ask of at this moment. And that is that you would open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law, the Bible that we've just read. Would we take very seriously, Father, your words? And Father, would you please, please, dear Father, move me aside. Please do not let me interfere with what you want to say to every single one of us, myself, of course, included. Speak to us, dear God. Speak to us through your word. Help us to see the importance, the overwhelming importance of being a part of the family of God. And, and Father, to be immersed, immersed in the love that you poured out to us through allowing your Son to be suffered, to be put to death, and then, Father, gloriously be risen from the dead, never to die again, and to give to all of us who have entrusted your Son for our sin, you have given to us a state of righteousness that comes through your Son, Jesus, and Father, gives us everlasting life. We thank you for him. We thank you, Father, for all these things. We pray in the name of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When we last left Peter, he said in verse 17, going through difficulties, going through trials, is not uncommon. No, but, but he did say this, verse 17, read it again. He says, it's better if our Lord should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than suffering for doing what is wrong. That makes common sense. But even more than that, verses 18, 19, and 20, Peter shows us how the sufferings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, ultimately achieved God's triumphant purpose for His Son. Look at verse 18. His suffering did a couple of things. Number one, it gave all who believe in Him eternal life. Look at verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all. The just, Him being the just. For the unjust, you and me being the unjust. His dying, His suffering upon the cross accomplished God's triumphant purpose for His Son. Here's what He says. Christ, starting with verse 18 again, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that Here's the reason why He died. So that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but now being made alive in the Spirit. I want you to hold on to that thought as we go through all of this. Secondly, we see our Lord's purpose for allowing His Son to suffer. It is so that, verses 19 and 20, we see His triumphant purpose as he shows Satan and Satan's fallen angels, the demons, that his suffering and his ultimate resurrection from the dead proved that he is exactly who he said he is. So for you who are investigating him, looking in, you want more evidence. Well, there's some evidence. Now, whether you believe it or not, that's up to you. We can't make you believe. We wish that we could. But listen, please, listen not... Not so much with your... Eh, that's not true. But listen. Listen with your head and your heart. Listen to what our Lord is saying. He went to prison. Listen to what it says. Verse 19. In which he also went, 
and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. That prison is a place called the bottomless pit. That is the place called hell. Hell was never, ever made for human beings. Hell was made for Satan and his demons. Those who choose to refuse God's blessings, God's faithfulness, His His salvation that He wishes to go give you, those then choose to not go to heaven, but to go to hell, to that place that was not made for human beings. So Jesus Christ goes to this place, verse 19, in which also He went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, in other words, showing him them that He is Almighty God. And verse 20 says, He preached to those who once were disobedient when the patience of God... Hold on to that word, patience of God. I'm going to take a look at something about that in a moment. The patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight people, Noah's family, that's the only people that trusted Noah's message about God. Just eight of them got on the ark. All the rest were covered with this water and went and died. Judgment fell on them for not trusting Noah in his word. In which eight people were brought safely through the waters. And listen to the voice of God, folks. You want to get into the ark, so to speak. Come to Christ, so to speak. Come and trust in Him so that you might have that salvation that gives you everlasting life. So Peter wants you and me to know that our suffering has a purpose, just as the suffering Christ has a purpose. What that purpose is, we might not ever know. But for certain, our our suffering will bring about maturity and growth within our lives. And so we need to search while you're going through whatever it is that you're going through, just as I do. I've told you before, I'm going through deep waters. I I wouldn't want what I'm going through upon anyone. But I'm trying with all of my heart to find out why. Why is it that God is allowing me to go through this and am I willing to go through it with complete faith and trust in Him? The answer is sometimes yes. Sometimes I kick and scream. I'm a human being just like you. Sometimes I wonder why. But when I come to my senses, when I come to my senses, I understand that God is doing this for His glory. I just don't understand it. That's all. That's what God asks of us as believers. Faith. 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 Watch how faith builds its... its Watch how faith builds its, its message to us this morning. You see, at the heart of the gospel is this true fact about Jesus Christ. He was perfectly righteous, and He died for the perfectly unrighteous. That's us. And He showed, by doing that, everyone, that He triumphed over death. And through His undeserving suffering, His undeserving death, He, Jesus Christ, provided redemption for those who believe in Him, giving us salvation. And also, He passed on judgment for those who would not believe, who would not trust. You see, the suffering of Jesus Christ had a triumphant purpose in the heart of the Father. 
I want to I go off on a little rabbit trail now just for a moment. I had the privilege yesterday of uh, doing a memorial service for one of the dear saints of our church. It was Elsie Whitby. Now, I don't know if you know her or not. I know that I love her, but I had no idea how much I should have loved her until I had uh, the privilege of being a part of the service for her yesterday. What I found out is that dear woman impacted her family for the cause of Christ like few people I have ever met. Her daughters, her sons, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, they all came up and shared how Elsie had an impact in their life to walk with Jesus Christ. Before the service began, it was a memorial service. It was a, it was a time of worship and praise. There was, there was more noise in this church than I have ever heard at a, at a memorial service in my life. There were people laughing and having a great time. And I, I went to her, his daughter Donna and I said, Wow, these are, you guys are a joyful bunch of people. She said, Yep, we are. And I told the people that. I said, You know, I've never done a service, a, a funeral or a memorial service, where there was more joy in the room. The joy was that they knew exactly where Elsie was. Some of the things I heard about her. Here's why I wished I knew her better. One day she went to work. They, they were talking about her, her sense of humor. She had such an elaborate and wonderful sense of humor, which I absolutely adore in people. That's why I think I like Mickey more than most. I, I, I've, I've got a man crush on Mickey anyway. So. But I love his sense of humor because he finds joy in almost everything. And she was going to work. And one of the workers there was through a, threw his paper into a waste paper basket that got astray and hit her on the head. She faked like it, like it was going to knock her out. She went back and she says, somebody call, what do they, uh, what do they call when you're going to uh, sue people? Huh? No, no, not a medic. When you call the... What, what, call workers come. Call someone to get this guy arrested. She was doing this. She was just faking that. So after they had a few laughs, the next day she comes to work with a hard hat on. That's funny to me. Second funny. They said she loved movies. And she had a crush on uh, Sean Connerly, who was, uh, wasn't he the first James Bond, the only James Bond. She had a crush on him. So she takes her daughter to a movie. And they're sitting there. And Sean Connolly comes on the screen. And she leans over and whispers to her daughter, That could have been your daddy. <laughs> That's what I did. I, I roared. The, the daughter told that story. When I got through with the service, after they showed all the slides and the pictures, and, and everybody come up and shared, I... I very honestly and sincerely said I would love to be adopted into your family but then I said who knows maybe I'm a love child of Sean <laughs> it was such a wonderful time it was such a time of rejoicing of who Jesus Christ is in the life well lived by a dear woman that all of us should miss which leads me to tell you that you ought to come to the Rock of Ages on Friday you really ought to be there Number one, the chili will be off the charts good. It always is. But number two, you need to get to peop- know the people who are older in our church. Get to know there's, there's some 
amazing and fantastic personalities in this church that you need to get to know under that type of a setting rather than in here. We need to get to know each other. There are some real gems, some real precious stones amongst us. We just got to get to know. And so I can tell you unashamedly, I love Elsie Whitby. But I didn't really love her like I ought. I should have known her better. We would have had a few doggone good laughs. And I would have loved that. Now, where was I and why did I do that? That's part of being 77. I have no idea where I was going with that. I don't care. I don't. Let's get back to the Word. (laughs) It had a purpose. Honestly, it did. I just don't know what it was. Understanding our Lord is so important in your life and my life. Listen to what Peter presents to us now in verses 21 and 22. I think the apex of this place in Scripture. It says in verse 21, now, corresponding to that, you can't go, you cannot study the rest of this chapter, these two verses, without understanding what does corresponding to that mean. You just can't haphazardly read through the Bible. That's why we need to come here. That's why we need to get in small groups. That's why we need to study with one another so that we understand what do these words mean. They're not just words. They have a purpose. Corresponding to that, Peter writes, baptism now saves you. Oh, does it? He says, not, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but what saves you is an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Very important. And then he explains who our Savior is in verse 22. He is at the right hand of God. He has gone into heaven itself. Angels, authorities, powers, they've all been subjected to Him. That's, that's our Savior. You know, I, uh, I absolutely love the Lamb of God whom we worship. But I'm ready. I'm ready for the King of Kings. I'm ready for the One who is the Lord of Lords who comes back and will judge this this terrible earth on which we live. And if you don't think it's terrible, then just turn on the news. Not for long, because it will really upset you. But look what's happening in this world. It's completely out of control, folks. It doesn't look like it's going to get better very easily. If this isn't getting drawing nigh on the second coming of Christ, I don't know what is, and I don't know... What will have to happen to turn things around? So key to understanding verse 21 is understanding what does corresponding to that mean. The word contains in the Greek, antitupon is what it is. It means to copy. It means it's a figure of an event that, that it is pointing to something. So when he speaks of baptism saving you, he is using an earthly expression of a heavenly reality. Anti-tupon. It's a symbol of a spiritual truth that will lead you and me, in this case, to salvation. Let me give you a for instance. You're going to get it as soon as I share it with you. An anti-tupon is John chapter 3 verse 14. Would you turn with me please? Hold your place here. 
Turn with me, please, to John chapter 3, verse 14. We're going to look at verses 14 through the most famous verse probably in all of Scripture. Uh, John 3.16. This is an anti-tupon. It's a copy. It's a figure of an event that is pointing to Jesus Christ. John says in John chapter 3, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, that is an anti-tupon. That is an, a, a copy of something that was going to take place. Even so, he says in the rest of verse 14, must the son, the son of man be lifted up. Moses and the serpent. Do you know what took place? In the wilderness, there was a plague that hit the people of Israel. They couldn't get rid of the plague, so God goes to Moses and says, take a pole, put a serpent on the pole, and have everyone that has the plague or is worried about the plague go look at the serpent and the plague will be taken from them. By the way, for them to do that, what did it take? Faith. Good for you. God bless you guys. Faith. It took faith for them just to go and take a look at the serpent and have the plague be removed from them. Everything that God does in your life and my life deals with faith. Never doubt that. In a moment we're going to read about Noah and the ark. That was faith. Getting onto the ark was faith that that there was going to come a rainstorm which it hadn't rained and it was going to be a, a rainstorm that would cover the earth. And only eight people, only Noah, his wife, and their children came, and their mates came to get on the boat. No one else did. Faith. Faith is key in your life and my life. So as it says in John three fourteen, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so, he says, must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's an anti-tupon. So that, look at verse 15, whoever believes will in Him, in other words, in Jesus Christ, have eternal life. Then the most famous verse of all, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him wouldn't perish, but would have everlasting life. You're investigating about a Savior? You listen to that and you want to put it off for more evidence? There's no more evidence. The only thing left is your heart. The only thing left for you is to faith. To believe that Jesus Christ is exactly who He says He is. And that He wants to give you everlasting life. See, Moses and the serpent who was lifted up in the wilderness, just an Old Testament copy of a figure or an anti-tupon, that points to the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And most importantly, that incident that happened in the wilderness was an earthly expression of, of a heaven reality of the death of Jesus Christ, which brings forth salvation, all along showing God's triumphant purpose for His Son dying and suffering upon the cross. He had a reason for it. So Peter talks about Noah and the ark. It describes baptism and salvation. I want you to take note. Before we take one step further, I want you to note something very interesting. Every incident of God's purpose and God's plan is allowed for us to understand through faith. It's always faith. To get on the ark took faith. To go stand and look before the serpent 
took faith. And ultimately, for you and me to believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin takes faith. It's always faith. God gives us an opportunity to show Him our love by faith. Believing in what He has done for us. So corresponding to that, that anti-tupon, baptism, Peter says, now saves you. Not really. He says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh. See, the word baptism is baptismal. It means to be immersed. It means to be put under water and to come back up, to be baptized. But he says, it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh. In other words, it's not going under the water that saves you. But what saves you, verse 21, is an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what saves you and me. Some people might misunderstand and believe that salvation comes through the baptism. Let me tell you, all of us should be baptized. I'm not against baptism. In fact, I'm all for it. 100% for it. But salvation doesn't... Baptism does not save you. Your faith in Jesus Christ is what saves you. Baptism is just a, an outward expression of what has taken place within your heart of hearts as you've come to trust in Jesus Christ for your Lord and, so, and your Savior. And so Peter makes it clear. He didn't want the readers to think that he was referring to water baptism as salvation because he says it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh. It's not the, the, wall, the water. It is an appeal to God, he says, through the resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So Peter is using baptism here to refer to, to, refer to a figurative immersion of our being immersed in Christ. That's where he's getting to in your life. So that the trials that you and I go through, we are so immersed in Christ that the trials won't take us away from respecting and loving and honoring our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in its purity, baptism is simply one's identifying with what has already happened within your heart at the moment of salvation through the acceptance of Jesus Christ for what He has done for you and for me on the cross and through His resurrection. Remember we talk about here at our church, Easter doesn't come just once a year for us. I mean, goodness gracious, no. Easter is an everyday occurrence for us at, the, at this church. We believe in a risen Savior every single day. And so the trust in Him for His resurrection is, in, is, what, is what sets us apart. See, baptism is not salvation. Christ is salvation. Baptism is simply our identifying with Christ and our being immersed or protected by Him through faith. Get on the ark. Come to Christ. Faith is what moves you. Noah and his family were immersed in the ark, held above the water. But really what they were being held above was the world and God's judgment upon sin. They got on the ark. Therefore, the ark protected them just as Jesus Christ protects us in the midst of God's coming judgment. And each incident, whether it's the ark, the serpent, your Savior, it's all faith. That's all it is. That's all we got. Faith is everything to us. It's not your money. 
It's not how good you are. It's not how much many good things you do. It's your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What separates you and me from the world. You might want to ask what judgment's coming. Turn to Second Peter uh, again. I think I missed Second Peter three nine, didn't I? Talking about uh, about God's patience. Take a look at Second Peter chapter three. Let's look at verse nine first. Sorry, uh, Daniel. In Second Peter chapter three verse nine, it says, "The Lord is not slow about His promises, as some count slowness. He is patient, patient." He is patient towards you. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't wish for any person to perish, but for all of us to come to repentance. And so the day of the Lord, it says in verse 10, will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. This time it won't be water. This time it's going to be fire. The elements will be destroyed with intense heat, it says in verse 10 of Second Peter 3. The earth and its works will all be burned up. You hear God's voice? If you do, get in the ark, folks. Get in the ark. Verse 11, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? That's Peter's point here. If this is all going to happen, and it will, and it is happening... What kind of a person ought you to be? In holy conduct, in godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, God's promise, our faith in His promise, you and I are looking for a new heaven a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, folks, you and I ought to immerse ourselves in God. And what sort of people ought we to be? I'll leave that to you to decide. But what do we have to look forward to? Look back at 1 Peter 3. We'll close in a second or two about now. Back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, the last part of it, and verse 22. This is what we have to look forward to as believers in Jesus Christ. It says in verse 21b, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's God's proof, the resurrection of His Son. Christ is now, verse 22, at the right hand of God. He has gone into heaven and angels and authorities and powers have all been subjected to Him. Peter concludes this great chapter with verses 21 and 22 showing us the final note concerning our Savior Jesus Christ. The ultimate power, the ultimate authority that He has here on this earth and in heaven as well. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament affirms that the right hand of God is the place of authority. One of, my great, one of the great verses in the Old Testament, Exodus. Chapter 15, verse 6. Just listen. It's real short. It says, Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters your enemies. Want security? I'm going to show you something that will just... I hope it makes you just want to weep with joy. 
Turn to the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter, last book in the Bible. I want to read to you out of Matthew what Jesus Christ said to those who have proclaimed Him. He says, listen, Matthew 26, 64. He says, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I will tell you. Hereafter, He says, you're going to see the Son of Man seating at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What's that going to look like? Oh, it won't be the Lamb of God. No, no. It's going to be the King of Kings. Listen to what it says. Every time I read through this, I mostly every time I read through this, I find so much joy that my eyes tear up. I can't wait for this moment. It says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and true, and in righteousness he will judge and wage war. I love verse 12. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, that's crowns, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. Verse 13. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, that's our Savior, and his name is called the Word of God. You know why we study this book, folks? This is it. Because He is the Word of God. We need to understand and know what it is about Him that will make us conformed more and more into His image day by day. He is called the Word of God. Verse 14. Armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's us. That's believers. We will follow Him on white horses. Isn't that amazing? Come on, tell me the truth. Isn't that amazing? We're going to be riding on a white horse following our Lord. Someone told me in the first service after I said, I just hope that I'd be able to watch. You know, I'm going to be like this. You know, Hold up, hold up. But he says, no, then you'll be able to ride perfectly. And I said, yeah, I know. I just want to make a joke. We'll be able to watch everything. We're riding in with our Lord on white horses. And from his mouth, verse 15, comes a sharp sword so that He will strike down the nations and He will rule them with a rod of iron and He will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty and on His robe, oh come on folks, and on His thigh He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's my Savior. Not the Lamb of God. My Savior is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And He's coming. And I'm going to have the privilege and so will you to come with Him. And He will judge this terrible earth in which we live that's going flat nowhere fast. And He will bring it to its knees in the final judgment. In verse 22, as we close, 1 Peter chapter 3, the words rendering have been subjected is hupotasso in the Greek. It means to line up under rank order. It describes the present status of every spiritual being, whether on heaven or on earth. He is supreme over all. On the screen, why don't you put that up, Daniel? Listen to what, listen to what Paul writes of our Lord in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The first service, I tried to get on my knee because I thought it would be nice. And I could, I, it hurt so bad I could almost get, not get up. So I'm not going to do it this time. It says in verse 9, For this reason God highly exalted Jesus Christ and bestowed upon Him the name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those who are in heaven, those who are on this earth, and those who are under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's your Savior, people. And if you don't know Him, you better come to trust in Him. He means business. Yeah, He's the Lamb of God who dies for the sin of this world. But very shortly, I don't know when, it might be thousands of years, but it seems like it's coming to some sort of climate. He's going to come back as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and I want you to know Him. Verse 22 is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ in connection to you and me. You and I are sinners here on this earth. But we can come and receive Him as our Savior through faith. We can join the great company of those who are redeemed, saved, come riding upon white horses, coming with Him in glory. So Peter tells us this. We've been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. We have been immersed in Christ. That's how we ought to live. And the reason we are that way is because He was raised from the dead. And today He is seated in all glory and power and honor at the right hand of God. God's triumphant purpose for His Son was to suffer for your and my benefit. Therefore, as Peter says, I close. How should you and I walk in our faith today? How, how should we be out there in this world? Peter asks in 2 Peter 3.11, what sort of people ought you to be? You tell me. No, no, no. Don't, don't. Don't tell me. You tell the Lord. Get with Him. Alone with Him. Quiet with Him. Ask Him, what kind of person does He want you to be? He'll tell you. I'm, I'm confident 100% He'll let you know. The issue is, will you do it? That's the issue. It comes to be the issue in my life, it will be the issue in your life. You know how you ought to live. You know. You know you ought to accept Christ. You can't keep putting Him off. What, what more evidence do you want? Come to Christ by faith. For those of us who know the Lord... Let us walk with Him by the same faith. Let's trust in Him for this day. Faith. Faith through what we're going through. Trusting that He has our best in mind. Even though it doesn't appear to be all the time. There'll be a prayer team up here that'll pray with you if you want to pray for anything. Whether it's salvation or just maybe a loved one that's going through difficult times or you're going through it. Whatever. We'd love to pray for you. We want to be a church that prays for one another. I want to tell you how much I love you. I don't have that many more times to say it. So I'm an overdose. and tell you I love you, I love you, I love you with all my heart. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of this church. I do believe it's the best time for me to consider leaving. I do believe that with all my heart now. I don't want to leave. I don't, I don't, I don't know about that, but I believe it's the best. And the reason I believe it's the best is because of Pastor Mark McGrath. I think God has led us the very perfect person to come and lead. I believe in him. I trust in him. I think he's going to be a great pastor for us as a church. And I think you're going to enjoy him immensely. Not only him, but 
Pastor David Briggs, Rob Selleck, Brian Thompson, the elders who are upstairs right now going over stuff that I have no idea what they're doing. They're going over some stuff. I believe it's the best time for me to leave. I don't want to leave, um, but it's the best time. And so I honor the Lord with that because I want to honor my wife. I want to honor my wife till the day I die. I will do that. So I love you with all my heart. Have I ever told you that? Yeah. I love you with all my heart. Thank you for, for always listening. Thanks. Father, we want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for Peter. What a man. Boy, he just doesn't pull any punches, Father. He just completely tells it like it ought to be told. And he lets everything else fall where it may. The ball's now in your court, folks. How you want to walk with Christ, completely up to you. If you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, completely up to you. Nobody can make you. Here's the good news. Nobody can stop you. Trust in Him, please. Please, trust in Him. I give you thanks in Jesus' name for all things, Father. Amen.